0: Hi guys, Paul from the Innovation Community here. Today I'm with Andreas Kipriano, who is the Global Head of People Reporting and Analytics at Upfield. So Andreas leads the strategy and delivery of reporting and advanced analytical insights across 95 countries for the largest plant-based consumer goods package company in the world. So very interesting role. Great to have you with us.
1: Great, yeah. Thanks for inviting me, Paul. Amazing to be here.
0: So, mm-hmm. tell us a bit more about yourself in a few words, just to start with.
1: Uh, sure. Um, I'm. Uh, well, where can I start? I'm not going to give you the full biography. Uh, so, kind of, as you said, my role currently is is is, is leading uh, reporting analytics upfield. I've been in people analytics, I guess, for the past probably about 10 years or so in a, in a range of different roles from you know big big corporate uh banks uh did a bit of stint in tech uh, and now is the in in retail uh before that i'm not from an from any chart background originally so i did a few stints in, in in consultancy in in operations uh in in finance as well so it's quite a varied background um and then on on, on the personal front uh again quite a very background I'm half Ukrainian half Cypriot uh, living living in London uh, for the past few years and actually currently uh, working from uh, working from Greece yes I do like even even during COVID times I do like to travel around
0: (laughs) yeah that's a a pretty pretty diverse background and uh, you've been working for a while in 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 like BI and analytics where Mm -hmm. did your data career really start before that
1: Uh, I think so it's it's probably Started from my, my my educational background was in, in psychology, so I did um, kind of my first degree in psychology, second degree in organizational psychology uh, with the idea to kind of go into more uh, let's say, even though we should probably shouldn't say more, kind of softer HR. Um, however, when I did when I did graduate, I think um, some of the I almost fell into a different type of role, which were more around systems implementation, uh, around kind of financial reporting uh, and financial analytics. So um, I did a lot uh, did a lot of work with numbers uh, and kind of analysis uh, on the operational on the finance front. Um, and then probably about seven, eight years ago, I um, had a contract where uh, with, with a company where I had to apply some modeling uh, within the HR function. Um, and that was really interesting because that was when uh, people analytics started to be a thing. You know, back then it was a fad. It's not a fad anymore. It's definitely, uh, uh, it's definitely here to stay, but back then it was a fad. And, and I almost saw it as an opportunity to combine was my educational background, which was in HR with my, um, with my hands-on experience kind of with numbers analytics uh, to, to bring change in HR. And since then, I've been in HR analytics roles, kind of those BI roles sitting within the HR function uh, for, yeah, for a number of companies. And, and we've seen a massive growth, you know, people analytics. As I said, a few years ago, it was, it, it, it was a fad. It was seen as something new. Uh, something that people didn't understand, um, whereas now it's almost an integral part of every self-respecting uh, kind of human resource function, and, and obviously wider than human resource. Uh, so everybody is, is is in quite high demand. Um, so so yeah, that's quite uh, that's my that's my background story.
0: Yeah, pretty. Uh, again, another um, you know, hopping between the different functions, which I think that's right. It's only good good for experience, right? Uh, what are you uh, currently up to in your role? Um, so,
1: Upfield, as uh, you described it, we're we're a very large we're a very large business. Uh, not many, probably not many people might not know the name, but you will know our brands. Uh, so, brands like Flora is obviously world famous brand. So, we we used to be a, a, a part of Unilever, uh, and a couple of years ago uh, were bought out and now a private equity owned firm. So. It's almost like a a really established startup is how I like to describe it. So I came in uh, to almost start building things from scratch. So I'm involved in, in both very, very strategic uh, projects all the way to the very hands-on data cleansing data analytics uh, part. So on the one hand, I'm responsible for kind of, I'm leading the uh, the strategy of the people analytics function data management strategy, you know, how we're going to adhere to GDPR rules and regulations, um, how we're going to make sure we capture all the data we need, uh, the, the data models across all of our HR systems, etc. And on the other hand, I'm very hands-on uh, in sort of setting up some of the basics that each, uh, each function needs. So operational reporting, dashboarding, visualizations, ad hoc analytics for the, for the senior leaders, uh, and anything they would need, so it's it's quite a varied role. It's really interesting because I'm getting I'm getting the opportunity to see things, uh, to build things almost from the ground up. You know, and when I came in, the only thing that we had was um, an HRIS and, and a few other systems, and it's it's almost getting the opportunity to shape uh, the function and analytics function uh, from from the ground up.
0: And I know that when we spoke previously, a lot of what you were working on currently was about the use of analytics and advanced analytics with assessment selection. Mm. What are some of the, the, the ways you're finding they can complement each other and work together?
1: I think, I mean, assessment is, for me, I have, I have a personal passion for, for assessment. I think it's, 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 it's the groundwork for a lot of the analytics projects, particularly in, in human resource. And the reason I say that is a lot of the problems that we solve in, in HR Post post hire, a lot of them can be traced to making the wrong hire. So 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 I think analytics in that sense assessment is particularly important for bringing the correct employee into uh, into the process. So um, I mean, at the moment we we have a, a, a few projects running in terms of making sure, particularly as we are quite a young company, what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out uh, you know what are the right profiles. For the business, uh, given the changing nature of the business, um, how do we use uh, the right tests and tools to assess the people coming into the business? And then, how do we assess? Uh, and that's where it kind of the, the, the analytics part comes in as well. How do we assess the success of those measures? You know, so whether it's um, using retention measures or performance measures or or financial measures, uh, what's really important is to link. Yes, whatever assessment tools you're using with the outcomes. So, for us, for example, you know, we, if we're working on uh, on hiring a, a bunch of salespeople uh, into into our company, we need to be sure to set out from the very beginning very clear outcomes. You know, what do we want? What does the success profile look like? Is it is it sales? Uh, is it new customers? Is it customer retention, etc.? So, I think it's really exciting the and the assessment uh, world. In terms of tools, has really blown up. I mean, at my last count, and I'm probably miscounting, there were like something above 200 different tools in the assessment world, you know, uh, that all claim to be psychologically validated and 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 accurate. Um, I think the trick nowadays is is also, you know, not, not just not just picking the right tool, but I think, as I said, it's picking the right tool and then setting out. The correct outcomes that you want the tool to, to to deliver. So, so I think it's yeah, it's a really really interesting topic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, you, your passion really does come across. What interests you about working with data?
1: Um, what hmm. <laughs> interests me working data? It's that's that's, that's 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 an interesting question. I i, I always I always think that in my bad days, you know, why did I uh, why, why did I ever why did I ever get into this? I think I think what what interests me is the the creativity of it, right? I think a lot of people have have misconceptions about data as being cold hard numbers. Um, I don't think they're cold hard numbers, right? I think there is. Uh, there is a lot of scope for creative problem solving when you 're working working with data, um, and then beyond that, I think the great thing about that data is that that creative problem solving leads into tangible outcomes. Uh, I think that that that's, that is really you know my passion comes across from Having a problem in front of me, getting all the data that I can around it, and then working with that data to come to a tangible outcome that I can see an impact on the business. So I think I think that's very exciting. I'm also a geek. Uh, I think that's, that's that's another point. I love any sort of any sort of technology. Uh, I just I, I just love playing with systems. Um, so anything from you know your basic Excel to Whatever advanced advanced machine learning um, systems we have nowadays, so I, I'm, I'm really geek. So I do like I do like geeking out with data. But I think for me, it comes from 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 my problem solving roots. Right, I've always been a problem solver, and I've always seen data as being the proper conduit to correct problem solving. Correct, I say that cost always always depend on the data, but I've always seen it as the right route to solve problems. So I think that's why that that's what makes me quite passionate about
0: it yeah definitely comes across as well so what would you identify as some of the major successes that you've achieved over your career
1: yeah i mean there's there's, there's a lot a lot a, a lot to mention i think again for me when i define success it would be something that has had a tangible impact on the business you know whether it's in whether it's in financial terms or people terms I think it's always about the tangible outcome uh, you know yeah you know, something something else I'm really passionate about is diversity uh, and I know it's a I know it's a hot topic everywhere now diversity but I think you know a few years ago uh, when I was working for for a large uh, financial firm diversity was really high on the agenda and what we What we wanted to do is we wanted to set some very specific targets uh, for our senior leaders around diversity. Um, And I think because it's, it's, it is such a, such a touchy topic, what you wanted to do is you wanted to go in with some good numbers and some data to back up, back up your case. Um, so I think I remember what um, we did quite a lot of work, myself and my team did quite a lot of work in terms of modeling outcomes, understanding the root causes of any diversity problem within the organization, setting out detailed forecasts for multiple years in advance, and then going to the, uh, going on, going to the senior leaders um, and almost giving them the case for diversity in the organization. Um, and um, it was, you know, I cast that as a, as a success because, as, as you, know, you know, financial institutions are always a bit cautious around what, what, what you sign up to or what, what you kind of disclose to the outside world. Um, but I think as a result of, 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 of our work, uh, our, our numerical work, we did get the organization signed up to a charter. Uh, we set some very clear targets for senior leadership and we had a lot of successes in terms of improving the diversity of the organization. So I think that is something that couldn't have happened without some proper numbers and some, and some good modeling in the background. So yeah, still remember and still, still, still class that as one of my kind of, kind of really big successes, particularly as diversity is such an important topic for me in, in every organization that I worked in.
0: And just out of interest, how do you think the technology can really help solve that issue?
1: Um, diversity, or any? Um, I guess. Uh, I mean, the, it, we have there's there's obviously there's technology out there that focuses on on, on diversity specifically, which which there's some very interesting tools out there. Uh, you know, again, anything from. Uh, from the recruitment cycle, there is there are tools that uh, read your scan your job descriptions uh, and see if they're written in any sort of gender biased language, uh, and then and then help you to improve them. Uh, there's always there's 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 obviously tools out there that um, or sourcing tools out there that allow you to tap into uh, diverse candidates and, and, and individuals. I think I think. Look, for me, tools tools are great. Technology technology is great. I think for me, diversity is definitely a a mindset first of all, and then a tool, uh, and and then a kind of a a technological stack. Secondly, I think there needs to be you, you need to have a mindset of. Putting diversity above everything so whether you're whether you're hiring whether you're promoting uh, whether you're mobilizing and moving people around uh, you know diversity has to be at the top of everything Um, but as I said there are there are really really exciting tools out there that can can definitely help you on on your journey Um, I think even I was you know Things like what I just described, job descriptions—you would never think, you know, you, you know—you have your recruitment team, you would write your job ads, um, and you would never think that, that for example, you could a, a woman or a, an ethnic minority could be discarded from applying based on certain words that you use. So that that particular tool was an eye opener for me. Again, culturally as well, thinking, well, these are small things that you may never even think about as you know myself as a white male uh, but actually they make such such a huge such a huge difference um, i think I, the other thing i will say i always encourage um when looking at diversity as a problem i think it's it's it's, it's also really relevant to look at it as a as a systems as a systems issue and not just as a standalone issue so what i mean by that is you know a lot of the times uh, the reaction to a diversity problem may be, well, let's just hire more diverse people wherever the problem is. So let's say let's just hire more ethnic minorities. Let's just hire more women, etc. I think that's a very that's a very narrow way of looking at it because you know if you if if you all you do is hire load of load of load of minorities in without having proper roles for them that they can thrive in then you're going to end up with the same problem a few years down the line when they all leave, when they understand that that's not the organization for them. So I always, you know, it, it's, it's always encouraged to look at any issue. We're talking about diversity now, but that could be applied to anything from retention to engagement, uh, et cetera, that you look at it as a systemic issue, right? So what is the root cause of the problem? Look for the root cause of the problem and trying to solve that rather than, uh, reactionary measures and kind of, kind of, kind of just reacting and, and fighting along the way.
0: Makes a lot of sense. So what do you think was the biggest impact that you ever made on a transformation?
1: I'd probably say that my, my biggest impact in the organizations um, I was in was always to bring a, an analytical viewpoint through. Right. So, from you know, from, from from the the big corporates that I worked in to the smaller organizations, I think, particularly in in human resources, which obviously is my my, my kind of chosen department to sit in, there's always been there's always been an, and there's a lack of kind of looking at things from uh, from the point of view of the numbers. Right. So so, so I think I think my, my my biggest limit has always been to bring that. point in that is you need to look at the numbers even if they do not uh, even if they do not support your story right I remember a few a a few years ago I worked for for an organization um, and we were asked again again a a basic question Uh, we have we have a very well we were asked we have a very serious attrition rate and it's really impacting our business can you look into it uh, we have We have heard things on the grapevine that we have a, an attrition problem um, digging into it like right, once you bring kind of get all the data together and look into it, digging into it, it it turned out that actually the attrition problem was not an attrition problem at all because you know it was it was actually the people that were leaving were. Were the people that should have left <laughs> uh, anyway. So, 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 I think it's always you know for me, my biggest impact comes from bringing that analytical viewpoint to the senior leaders uh, and getting them to look at and challenge their own internal, internally held beliefs. That some some of those beliefs may be held for for a long time. So, so challenging that is 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 is, is for me is, is really important. Um, I guess from a uh, from a pure impact impact perspective um, what what i remember i i, I remember a a really a, a really interesting project that i was involved in uh with 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 a, with a company with a utilities company um, that was around transforming uh the um, it was, it was around the way trans, transforming the, the contracts of, of, of their employees, which would have meant uh, kind of a, a saving for the company um, as well. The reason I remember I remember that, that that particular story was because of the human impact that I saw the numbers could have. So that's another thing that has stayed with me. Uh, so you know, always you come in with, 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 with analytical models. Sometimes a lot of the times in HR, what we tend to forget is the impact it has on the people. Right behind every number, there is a person. I remember, uh, I remember that in, in, in that instance, a lot of the modeling that we did, which we presented back to the stakeholders and the and the people representing the employees, um, a lot of the a lot of the stories came down to individual people. Well, if this particular contract changes then this person will not be able to afford to support his family or whatever. So so, so I think that statement because what I was able to do at that point is almost join up the human element with the analytical element and make a difference, not just for the organization, but also for every single individual employee. And that has stayed with me since. So what I've tried to do is, is, remember that behind every number and behind every model that we build, uh, there are human lives at stake, uh, and we need to be careful what we do with those numbers.
0: Yeah, some really interesting case studies there. I mean, a lot of this will come down to to, to people, I imagine. Obviously, we're talking about HR. How would you describe your leadership style when engaging and communicating with your team members?
1: Uh, with my, I mean, I'm. Um... I'm a pretty hands-on. What what I would usually describe myself is 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 is, is pretty hands-on. So I like uh, I'm a doer rather than a a a teller, right? So I think if you if you asked, uh, hopefully if you asked any of my teams who's worked with me, uh, they will say that you know what what I like to do is actually be be in the trenches and and be with them and really be hands-on on on anything and everything and everything that we do. Um, so the communication style, you know, it's, it's obviously the need for transparency. I'm a huge believer in transparency uh, in terms of, uh, you know, everything that I, t- I will tell you to do if you're in my team. Uh, you need to understand the reason of why we're doing it. So transparency is key. Um, and then also um, just being there for, again, for everybody. I, I think, I think um, what, what I... What I've seen is that taking an individual approach and really relating to whether they're your team members or whether they're in your direct team or with indirect team, etc., I think being able to relate to each individual member of of the team that that is something really important. So there's no there's no one size fits all uh, approach uh, to 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 team managing uh, or relationship. I think you need to be um, you need to be able to be quite a social chameleon, where you're able to understand what people want from you, particularly if they're in your the direct team, and being able to uh, to give to them. So, yeah, I do try to I try to relate to everybody in a, in a in a in a different manner in what they need.
0: And what about when you're communicating up the chain to mm. senior leaders? Again, I think I think I
1: will i will re-emphasize the need for being adaptable um, i think again there is no uh, there is no one-size-fits-all for communication with senior stakeholders uh, uh, i think i've seen particularly in my field, you know where a lot of the times i have to stand in front of senior stakeholders and explain some quite complex technical statistical numerical concepts i think it it's really important to understand that different people will need a different approach so as an example if I'm again if I'm, if I'm presenting it on, a, on a topic that, that is highly technical some senior stakeholders will be all over it right and they will want the details down to the last uh, to last variable you used in your model and, and the actual and the actual uh, type of analysis etc whereas other leaders will just want the hype the high-level figure figure, and the meaning of it, right? What does this all mean? Just give it to me in two sentences. Um, and the challenge is when you have both types of these leaders in the same room, right? So, which happens a lot of the times, right? So you have some people, you can see they're pretty bored already when you start going to the details, whereas other people, they want all those details. So, so I think, you know, my, my personal style is to try and adapt to everyone as much as possible. Um, I think what I have what I've learned, if there's anything I learned in my career, is that simpler is better and simpler is always better. Uh, so if if I do, let's say, return to the example, if I have the the really technical senior stakeholder in the room and the really non-technical one, I will probably lean on the side of the non-technical and then say to the technical leader, let's catch up after the meeting. I will take you through all of the 100 pages in the appendix that explain uh, how, how the model works. Um, yeah, I do believe that, you know, again, for me, when communicating, it's all about the outcome and the actions. Um, so I, I tend to try and stick on the side of, the, of clarity and, and, and transparency. Uh, but again, adaptability is key. Yeah, you've got to be adaptable. You've, you've got to think on your toes as well if, when, 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 when push comes to shove.
0: Mm. and it sounds like you've been doing a lot of, of really great things uh where do you see the biggest opportunity for improvement within your organization
1: I'm good. i good i think for me the top again this may sound like anathema coming from an analytics professional but i think for me the top priority is actually people and culture right and and how people think so whenever i come to organization to look at the way they run analytics, particularly in a function like HR. Um, in a, together with making sure that we have the right systems and the right data and the right reports, et cetera, I guess what I, what I wanna do quite quickly is make sure that the culture of analytics is embedded within the organization. And what I mean by that is thought processes, right? So people need to think, always data first, right? So whatever decision that may be from the smallest decision to the biggest decision, think data first. And that that doesn't come naturally to some, not all, to some HR functions, that doesn't come naturally because it is, you know, people oriented or or organization people oriented department. But I think for me, the biggest opportunity for improvement is to get everybody, even the non-technical people thinking in terms of data. So if you think in terms of data, if you ask the question, but one of you, whoever, your CEO, your CPO, uh, your CEO, right, they ask you a question, um, I guess the first thought should be, okay, let me go away, get the data, explore it, and come back to you instead of just going with gut feeling or whatever that is. So I think for me, training, upskilling, getting everybody to a level of comfort with basic data. I'm not talking about anything hugely advanced i'm talking about a basic level of comfort with the data understanding you know what are the key metrics your averages your basic statistics etc and also understanding what it all means how it all relates to the strategy i think getting everybody to a place where people are comfortable with it that is a huge opportunity for improvement in in almost every organization i've been in as i said you know most I think most of the organization now have tools. There's there's plenty of tools out there to choose from. There, there's no lack of them. Uh, there is there is easy way to do an analytics now. You don't have to sit there and code for hours and hours and hours to get a result. There is a lot of wonderful tools that will do a lot of the hard lifting for you. But where I then see that all that hard work stop is when the people who are using those insights, they don't understand them or they don't have the level of comfort with the data. So for me, you know, for every organization, and of course I'm talking from, a, from an HR perspective, but I think that probably also applies for a lot of other departments like, like, like marketing and comms, finance, et cetera. If you have that level, of, that level of comfort with the data and being accepting of it and leading with it is something that is, that is vital in every organization.
0: And what do you think was the biggest mistake you made during your career? <laughs> well, you should have you should have led with that, Paul. Then I could have taken the whole hour
1: uh, just taking you through all of my <laughs> all of my mistakes. <laughs> um, I think it it probably it probably was in the in in the, probably in the earlier stage of my career is chasing perfection. Uh, I think that was probably one of my biggest mistakes. So as, as, as an example, again, in one of my previous organizations, um, an exciting project, uh, which we wanted to do around hiring, uh, not to go into too many deals, but huge project around hiring, look at past, past trends and then try and predict future trends using those past trends. Uh, it took me what I wanted to do is I wanted to get it to a level where I left no stone unturned, right? So, dig out data from every single system I could find, historical data, talk to multiple stakeholders, you know, refine, refine, and refine. When I finally started getting building the model, refining it, refining and refining it, refining it uh, until when I actually came in and presented to senior stakeholders what I found, is that the level of interest in the project had waned and i had no idea about it right so in my chase for perfection i lost the opportunity and ride that wave of excitement uh in order to make a difference so if i had just settled for 70 80% good good enough instead of chasing at 100% that project may have, may have landed much better rather than me wasting all that time chasing perfection. So that was a huge lesson for me because, again, particularly in, um, in data and in my field, we're never going to have 100% uh, clean data. And I think you, know, you probably had enough guests on your shows saying exactly the same thing, right? You, you're never going to get to perfect data So for me, I think the biggest lesson is don't chase perfection. Do good enough that you're confident enough to drive results and drive actions. Because again, I'm probably said that the fifth time I'm saying it now, but again, for me, it's all about the actions and the outcomes. So so I think, yeah, I I took that lesson with me um, since then. And since then, it's been more about speed uh, rather than... Accuracy, which doesn't have to be, uh, you know, perfect.
0: And I'm sure one thing that's affecting that speed and accuracy is uh, COVID-19. How has that affected your role in, in upfield as well?
1: Yes, interesting, interesting times, absolutely. Um, I, I think, you know, first of all, you know, leading, I mean, I will lead with, obviously, the great thing is that, you know, role, the role hasn't been affected in the way that a lot of other roles have been affected. So, and I know when I do... You know, take this opportunity to send a lot of uh, a lot of respect for a lot of people out there who who obviously found themselves on a in a very negative situation now and 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 looking for roles. so I do hope that uh, that everybody ends up where they want to end up uh, but on on, on 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 the career front i think uh the one thing the the, the one interesting outcome that covid nineteen has had on my personal field of expertise is that it's almost it's, it's almost had a torch shine on the people function, uh, so whereas again, you know, a lot of the times the people function just gets on with it. Unless you mess up badly, you know, in, in HR, then you, you kind of just get on with things. Um, I think COVID-19 made that impossible. Um, it, made it, it made each company about its people. Right, because what it was, what, what it is, it affects the people. Uh, and you know, as an example, we are a retail organization, manufacturer organization. We needed to keep our factories going, we needed to keep to make sure that we're producing and we can uh, we can keep supplying our customers. So we can't do that without the people. So it, it shone a torch and it made us it made data even more important, you know. Um, I think it was it was key that we understood you know, what, what was happening with our people. You know, who is, how are our people feeling? How are they doing? Where are they working from? Uh, do they have the right equipment to work uh, if they're working at home? Or, or are they safe if they're working in the factories? So, so I think it, 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 was, it was really interesting just how much busier we got during COVID-19. You, know, so you, read, you read a lot of these stories on, on LinkedIn nowadays where, oh, I took the opportunity in COVID-19 to uh, take up jogging or or learn a new skill. Like I haven't been able to do any of that because we've just been, it's just been intensely busy in terms of making sure that our people are are safe and sound, are able to do their jobs. So so I think particularly in the field of, of engagement, uh, I think employee listening is very, very important. So we had a a lot of the projects around that um, in terms of making sure you listen to your people and act on what your people are telling you, because nowadays it's not just enough to do you know once a year survey uh, because we're in an ever changing world. the situation changes by the day, if not by the hour so each company must listen to, to their employees constantly and act upon it. So, yeah, it's definitely been a really, really interesting and, but, but intense time.
0: Absolutely. What is your top working from home tip? Uh, <laughs> uh, <sighs> take,
1: uh, I mean, take breaks. Definitely. I, I would say take take breaks. Do not feel guilty about taking breaks. Uh, I have heard and we have heard a lot of people, you know, thinking just because they're working from home, they're, they, they're not they're working much more. I can definitely tell it for myself. You know, I should listen to myself as well. I, I definitely end up working more. You know, you start in the morning, you don't have the, the, the crazy commute. You don't have the commute in the night. You end up you you end up working more. So I think I think definitely my top tip is take take enough breaks, take care of yourself, uh, and try and impose some sort of routine on your everyday life um, because it does. You know I found myself is, as I'm sure you did as well. You know three months into the into the lockdown. Not knowing what day it was, what month it was, you know, what was I doing the other day? Because all, all days kind of blurred into one. And it may sound counterintuitive, but that's because I didn't really have a routine. So some days I would wake up this hour, some days I would work until really late. So once you have a routine, I guess your day is starting to look a bit more structured. Um, so I definitely think, you know, get a routine in place, get, get your breaks and really take care of yourself.
0: So, what does your routine look like?
1: Oh, well, this is this is where I uh, I show you that I don't follow any of my any of my rules or or tips. I mean, I'll I'll be very honest. Uh, I don't have a routine currently because I've had a newborn baby. Uh, So my my routine has as she's she's now she's now three months three and a half months. So I I, I've had absolutely no routine. Whatsoever, as you know, you're following the whims of a newborn, and being a lockdown baby, that was obviously quite uh, quite tricky as well. Um, so I think you know nowadays there's no routine. Usually, what I would try to do is 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 I'm not I'm a night owl, so I would wake up. I wake up a bit a bit later, get a bit of sleep, um, have. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have breakfast, so, you know, skip my breakfast, start working, have a bit of lunch, then exercise in the afternoon, uh, and then finish as late as possible uh, so I can start later the next day. Uh, but yeah, my routine has been, uh, has completely been thrown uh, thrown out uh, by my lovely daughter, which, which of course is, is a great thing to have.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good excuse. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you ever received? Hmm.
1: Interesting. That is, that is, a good, that is an excellent question. And I, have, I feel lucky that, that I have received some really good advice across the years from many of my uh, managers and, and coaches and, and whatnot. I, I think probably the best, probably one, one, one that's stuck in my mind is um, – is don't try and please everybody, right? I think particularly, um, it was particularly relevant to the, to, again, to, to, to kind of the kind of field that we're in, to the work I do, a lot of the times, what the numbers say, the numbers tell a very different story to what somebody may think or feel or want. Um, so, Really early on and perhaps perhaps even you know up to recent in my career. It was all about well You know, we trying to please everybody. So if, if this doesn't work for you, I'll do something else I'll try and I'll try and do something else, but I think you know one of my one of my good uh, one of My good managers sat me down and said look you cannot you can't aim to please everybody Right. You need to let your work speak for, for itself Right? and the numbers speak for themselves and then things will balance out, right? And and eventually, you know, some people always like you, some people won't, right? You just have to uh, you just have to get used to it and put up with it. And and that's been that's something that's stayed with me uh, since and I, I remembered in my in my darker days.
0: <laughs> what are you curious about right now? Hmm.
1: Right now. Interesting. Apart from when we're going to get a, a, a COVID, a COVID nineteen uh, vaccine <laughs> or, or or a cure, um, from a, from a again from a very geeky perspective, uh, I'm very curious and, and I, I really like the the rise in more kind of citizen data scientist tools. So what I, what I mean by that is. Uh, tools that allow people who are not from a traditional technical computer engineering uh, coding background to do a lot of analysis so you know used to be the case if you wanted to build you know in our our field if you wanted to build a uh, if you wanted to build a model you know obviously you had to know a coding language like Python like R or whatever whatever it is Um, and then it would take you quite a while to, to code I think uh, the rise of of really cool tools um, in the market that uh, that just do it for you. Uh, I think that's that is that is very exciting for me because it goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago around uh, the culture and the uh, and the understanding of data that every individual in the co- in a company should have. So so I think the rise of these tools are particularly exciting because they will allow a lot of people who may have not been interested in data before to get to groups. Now that brings its own dangers, obviously you don't want to let anybody loose on, on data and not not understanding what, what each model uh, means. Um, but I think it will it will democratize the field quite a bit and let people you know have a have a lower bar- uh, barrier to entry to people to understand it which for me goes back to, to the cultural shift in each organization for people to be cognizant with data. I guess following on from that, AI is, is something I am particularly curious about. Um, I, I think the advances in AI have been exciting, no matter how. I mean, I know AI can be defined in, 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 in multiple different ways. I think, again, in my field, some of the, some of the tools that I'm seeing in the market are really really exciting, uh, you know things like in the assessment space, you know predicting whether somebody is is, is, is going to be a success in role, really exciting. Uh, the uh, some of the, some of some of the AI tools for candidate experience, uh, some of the AI tools, some of the AI tools uh, automating some of the processes that each organization have that used to require. I know hundreds of people and now you can you can do it with 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 the bot so i think that is something that i'm i'm really interested to see where as a as as humans you know how far you know how far can we go you know how far how, how far does our innovation stretch and then also culturally how we're how are we going to to react um as ai gets stronger stronger and more powerful so that that's something i'm, I'm particularly curious about
0: who's your favorite thought leader or author
1: <laughs> um, i mean i follow I, I i follow a lot of um a lot of uh, expert ex, ex, experts in 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 my space um I think in, in definitely in the people analytics space uh, and wider in the HR space. I do follow Josh Bersan a lot, uh, so he's um, obviously he he writes on a, on a number of topics, uh, and I think he's yeah he's been he's been amazing in in the type of analysis that he comes up with. So I'd recommend uh, anybody who hasn't come across Josh's work to definitely uh, definitely connect and, and read up um in the people analytics space. I, I, I follow um David Green a lot. He's, 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 he's a great expert uh and he's, he's, he's a fountain of, of of knowledge and links uh in um in, in our in our uh people analytics space. Uh, I mean, outside of that, um outside of that I read a lot of uh, I read a lot of literature um so it pro- I, I read a lot of classic literature so i think i think that's probably probably uh, something that uh well yeah i don't I wouldn't call them a, a thought, thought leaders but you know i, I do like I, I read a lot of classic russian literature so that's something that keeps me busy <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely what is your uh, favorite, quote? Ah, favorite quote favorite quote favorite quote
1: Again, I'm gonna Probably dig for an older one. Uh, I remember, uh, and that's something that's helped me in uh, in in my in my in my work a lot. Uh, it's an old Mark Twain quote uh, from 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 the 19th century that said, um, "Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect." I think that's uh, that's a really interesting quote. Uh, it's for one it. You know in the times we live in uh, political cultural etc I think it's been shown by the majority the majority may not always be right or you know um, <laughs> they may have, we're not gonna get into political discussion here but obviously we, we you know majorities is, is an interesting concept so I think for me I've always tried to to go against the brain right so even if even if majority thinks in a given way I think for me, it's trying to get proof around that. And a lot of the times that comes again through, through data in my work. So yeah, that's, I think that's, that's a really interesting quote.
0: And what advice would you give for aspiring leaders in data?
1: I think one, number one, is never rest on your laurels. Uh, I think that is the field, and not just data, but I guess data, uh, data specifically is such a fast-moving field that resting on your laurels even for a few months is, can, be, can be fatal for your knowledge. So uh, learn, 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 and upskill again and again uh, is, is, is really, really important um but not only on the technical side of things so i i've seen it a lot of the times a lot of the aspiring data leaders or people or people who start up in data they think that technical knowledge is the be all and end all so if you know a tool or a set of tools or whatever techniques that is it that is not it i think one of the biggest advice i would give is relationships stakeholder management, presentation, all the things, all the obvious things are really, really important for data professionals because we're in a field that, that leaves, should leave very little for interpretation in theory, uh, but in practice, it doesn't, right? So you need to be very, very specific and very careful and have those skills to be able to translate the data, to explain the data, to have an impact with data which doesn't only come from how good your skill or your technique is. Um, so I think always upskill, always learn what's new in your new field, but also make sure that you focus on the, on the softer side of things uh, as well.
0: Great. That was Andreas Kiprianu, Global Head of People Reporting and Analytics at Upfield. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for your time.